0: Thank you. Uh, well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. My name is Dax, and I'm pretty new on staff here newcomers and outreach and life groups. And so it's a privilege to look at God's word with you today. Uh, and again, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for how you have welcomed me, uh, how you have embraced me on staff. Uh, me and PD both came in at the same time, and my family as well. We're all here, if you kind of know our journey under one roof. So very grateful and humbled to be here. And you have welcomed us well. And So that idea actually fits with our series. We're looking at the one another's of the New Testament and uh, even uh, the one another command for today, which is welcoming one another. We'll be thinking about that. Uh, But just to remind us all, Bob kicked us off in the series uh, with the call to uh, love one another uh, from John chapter 13. And there's actually a little book by Francis Schaeffer called The Mark of a Christian. It's right on my reading level. It's about 30 pages long and about that big. And so um, he in there says the mark of a Christian is to love one another. And so each week we're looking at basically different facets of what it means to love one another well. And so today we're coming out of Romans chapter 15, this verse here, welcoming one another. The call to welcome one another. So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we read God's word today. We're going to start... In Romans chapter 15, we're going to read through verse 1 through verse 7, but I'm going to mainly be focusing on verse 7 today. So this is God's Word. Let's give it its full due. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For the glory of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but this, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. It is God's inerrant, infallible, inspired, and authoritative word. And as Bob says, He gave it to us because He loves us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we can indeed sit underneath the authority of your word this morning. And we would ask, we would acknowledge that we are utterly helpless. If your spirit does not give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word, and Father, through your word, would we learn to see Jesus and love one another well? In Christ we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. C.S. Lewis has an essay called The Inner Ring. Not sure if you've ever seen it or heard of it, but in it he has a really insightful take on relationships. It's sort of the unwritten system that exists in all our schools and organizations and any kind of group. And he says that if you slow down, you'll notice that in every group there are complex circles of what it means to be inside and be outside. So it could be a church. It could be at school or in the government. You have these unwritten systems, and doubtless we've all felt this at times. And he goes on to say they're not inherently bad, that they exist, But he has this comment in there, this quote that really resonated deeply with me, and I'm guessing with most people. And it's when he talks about the desire, though, to be on the inside in these unwritten circles. And this is what he says I'll read you the quote. It says, I believe that in all men's lives, at certain periods, and in many men's lives, at all periods between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements, In all men's lives, one of the most dominant elements is the desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. That is at the heart of what we're talking about today. What does it mean to welcome one another, to push back on those unwritten systems, and to address the fear that lies deep within all of us of being left on the outside? You know, and I would say even on my most challenging days, a reason it's challenging typically has to do with this fear of being left out on the outside, of being unaccepted. And so we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the call to welcome one another. We're going to look at the struggle or the challenge to welcome one another. And then lastly, we're going to consider the power to welcome one another. So let's first look here at the call to welcome one another. What does that really mean? Let's do a little bit of thinking about the passage. The actual word here is used four times in chapter 14 and 15 of Romans. And the word does have a range of meaning. When it's used in Scripture, it can refer to like deep relational acceptance. Or it could be on a more ordinary level, like just inviting someone, welcoming someone into your home. It's translated as welcome, receive, The NIV translates it as accept, accept one another. In the immediate context, though, of Romans, if you broaden that out to chapter 14, what is he saying? He's addressing some relational tension that's developed over peripheral issues and areas of conscience that have emerged within the church. And there are some people who have really experienced their freedom in Christ, And know that he's fulfilled all the Old Testament rituals and rules. And then you have these other folks within the church there in Rome that are most likely Jewish believers. And they're still kind of dug in. They're still committed to... They're clinging to Old Testament rules and rituals regarding what foods you could eat. Or what foods you couldn't eat. And so Paul's addressing this tension over these areas of conscience. They're not areas that are central to the gospel. And he says, guys... We've got to welcome one another. And he really says two things. He says, first of all, you've got to stop judging one another. Let's resist that temptation to judge each other. And then secondly, as we read in verse 2, some of you might even need to forego your freedom in Christ as Jesus did. He didn't come to please himself. So we might have to not please ourselves in matters of eating or drinking if it might discourage or hinder The faith of a less mature believer. So what's he saying here? I think he's saying he's calling the church to have a mind full of others. Like I just picture entering into a room, not what I can often do. Who can I attach myself to in a room full of people to make me look good? But instead he's saying when you enter into a room, you have a mind full. Verse 3, who can I go build up? That kind of mentality. And he says, there, in doing this, we become like a, like a choir, maybe like the bullfrog choir, making a unified, glorious sound that exalts and displays God's glory. That's verse 6. It's this sound of harmony. It's the word he uses there, a choir of goodness. And I think of this, it's as if Paul is saying to us, guys, you don't have to cross the seven seas to glorify the Lord. Right? We all want to do great things for God and be amazing for the Lord at times. And Paul here is saying we can slow down in the unseen work of seeing another person, welcoming them in, and he's saying that right there, you're at the threshold of the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? Something so simple as that kind of harmony at the threshold of the glory of God. It's the ways of God to be like that. Here's a summary statement in thinking about this. Tried to come up with some kind of summary statement to capture the idea. So I think of it like this. In peripheral issues or things not clear in Scripture. We are called to create a culture of hospitality and acceptance over judgment and critique as Christ has accepted us. Like, that's our calling to welcome one another. A culture of acceptance and hospitality. So I am the pastor over newcomers, right? So this is fitting and kind of ironic and good that God would have me in this passage, right? A culture of hospitality. That's part of my role to think about that. And acceptance, whereas our temptation is often to lean into judgment or critique, to immerse ourselves in how Christ has accepted us. So how do we apply this, though, in our current context? And I would just say this, maybe there have been some disagreements, maybe there have been some tensions or some things that you've struggled with uh, within the church. So the first thing I'd say is this, if you've struggled with relational tension, maybe even within the church or certain contexts, we'll talk about that, the first thing I'd say is this, cheer up, you're in good company. Cheer up. The reason that Paul writes this, the reason the Holy Spirit inspired this is because we battle with this. It's not easy. It's hard. And so let's be mindful and not lose hope. So if you look at verse 5, I think that's why he says here, we have the Scriptures. So if you read the Old Testament stories, right, there's a lot of relational tension. But God is always at work doing something good for his glory, and for the good of his people. And he calls God a God of endurance, because he knows, hey, this stuff is hard. It's a battle, whether that's in your family, whether it's in your life group or the church. And then in verse 13, he says, God is a God of hope who fills his people with joy and peace, his very spirit. And so we've all tasted relational hurt. We've, we've wrestled with this longing to be in But be encouraged today that God is at work even in the midst of relational tension. It is, as Paul Tripp says, a mess worth making. Relationships, they're a mess worth making. And if you look at stories, maybe even think of your favorite TV show that you've seen or movie recently, typically what happens, rich, good relationships come out of tension come out of challenges. And as we fight to rally around the gospel, we'll talk about that, there is more. So be encouraged. Punch the evil one in the nose today because he wants to discourage you. Right? That, that's a huge point to take away. The evil one wants to discourage you and just realize God is up to something good. Right now, where you might be experiencing relational tension and take a step toward hope that he's a God who will make all things new. So that's the first thought. Maybe even through prayer, just ask him. Ask him today, Lord, what are you doing? Just that simple prayer at a place of relational tension in your life just brings him in to places where he's often not present. And just, Lord, what might you be doing? I need your help. Just start right there. So that's one thought as we think about our context. The other thought I have is, is another way to think about this is I have this slide up here to think about a continuum. And what does it mean to welcome, another, welcome one another well? It could be as ordinary as saying hello to someone who is new or who you haven't met right over the pew. We talk about that. We use that language. Maybe even this morning, right? Now, I know it's always a little awkward to greet others, right? And that's okay. Let's just all acknowledge the awkwardness. I'm great at sticking my foot in my mouth. I do it all the time, probably once a week. You can ask my family. But this is a place of grace. We talk about grace a lot, right? And let's just embrace the awkwardness. You don't have to be Pine Cove. Anybody know what Pine Cove is? This highly energetic group of young people that are coming to our church, right, that greet you as you pull in the parking lot, and they're like exploding with joy to see you. You don't have to be like that just to say hey to someone across the pew in the morning. Right? So that's, it could be as ordinary as that to welcome one another, or it could be the other extreme. Maybe you have had disagreements. Uh, Maybe there have been places of tension and there are relational hurts. Well, in that case, we've got to fight to rally around the gospel and to figure out what it means to move toward one another and accept each other in the midst of flaws or difficulties or differences. I think of this season of transition. Uh, with Bob transitioning into a new role, and there might be differences that emerge. And we're called to welcome one another in and through that. Uh, I think of life groups. Tensions can develop there. What does it mean to welcome one another and to move into that? So those are a couple of extremes, and I just put in the middle hospitality. Uh, Maybe applying this would be simply opening your home this summer to someone who, who might be different, that you might not normally associate with, or you might but just good old-fashioned hospitality. These are ways that we can take steps toward welcoming one another. So maybe just ask the Holy Spirit even now, Lord, how would you have me to apply this particular one-anothering command? What would you have for me in light of this? But here's the thing. Whether it is something ordinary saying hello to someone across the pew, whether it's inviting someone into your home, whether it's moving towards someone you might be disagreeing with this is hard it's a challenge and we need to ask the question why is it hard what's really going on at the deeper level of the heart and so second point here the struggle or the challenge to welcome one another The reason I think it can be hard, and many of you might know this, is because if we think about this passage, we are curved in on ourselves. And we're quick to take steps toward judgment and toward critique. And you see that in chapter 14, verse 10. And we so quickly, so quickly forget the gospel, it's so slippery. To lose sight of that second half of the verse of how Christ has welcomed us. It just, the gospel just shrinks in our minds and in our hearts, and we lose sight of it, and we struggle to welcome one another. Maybe you've heard this before, but if you're wondering today whether or not you can be judgmental or critical, here's just a quick thought experiment. Uh, imagine, imagine you're going to the neighborhood, Walmart, down the road where you live. And uh, you're walking up and down the aisles there, Uh, but here's the thing. You have a video screen on your forehead, and every thought that you think scrolls across that video screen so that everybody walking towards you can read what you are thinking about them. If you're like me, you start to feel a little exposed. I might be more judgmental or critical than I realize, and we start to see our hearts and how quick we can be. Right? And for most of us, what's happening there, it comes out of a deep desire that, that we, we struggle with. We want to feel superior to others. We want to elevate ourselves. And these are places where we can learn to be quick to repent of. We're quick to judge. Here's how it shows up in my life at times as a pastor. I mentioned this at an ADC class recently, but thinking about judging and the struggle there, uh, we had these gatherings of pastors. You'd think they'd be holy huddles, but they're not. They're called presbytery meetings, and we gather together, and you talk about uh, a place where my heart can just hop up and down on the judgment cycle. Goodness, it's frightening. I can look at some of the older guys in the presbytery, and I can just begin to judge them, automatically not having even spoken to them, and just say, man, I bet you're overly concerned with theological precision and doctrine. You're probably not very relatable judging, right? Then I can look at some of the younger guys coming in, taking exams, trying to be pastors. I'm probably going to need to help you with your theological precision one day, right? Don't worry about being too relatable. Just thinking, elevating myself, right? It's such a default mode of the human heart. It's a constant battle as Lewis said, not to feel inferior. Another facet of this struggle here as we kind of sit on this is maybe you're great at welcoming others, uh, but you might not do it to the glory of God, as the passage says. Uh, You might be great at welcoming others, but you do it to the glory of self. So perhaps you've had this experience, you've been in a life group, you've hosted, right? And you've had all the people in your group say, I can't wait to be with you on Sunday night. You open the doors And then you start to get the last-minute cancellations. Now, I know that's really hard. That's hard, especially if you're hosting. But if the constant theme of your heart in that moment is, well, how dare those people? Don't they know how busy I am? And you're kind of tempted. I might just send them a screenshot of my calendar. And you think, goodness, I got that charcuterie board all ready to go. Don't they know how hard I work to pick those olives out? Just start to think, if the default mode of your heart is to have this consistent theme of bitterness, right? You might be great at welcoming others, but who are you doing it for? It begins to expose, if that's the consistent theme of our heart, that we might be doing it for the glory of self. And again, this desire in the moment is to feel a sense of superiority. And maybe some of us today, maybe you're just tired Maybe you're just weary. Maybe there are certain battles in other areas of life and you're, you're showing up and you hear this call to welcome one another and you're just like, I just am stuck. And I can't get my eyes off myself. There's a suffering at work. What do you do? What do you do there? How do we wrestle through with this call? And then here's what I'd say. Just, I think even underneath all this and closing this point out, probably the deepest reason while we might struggle to accept others and welcome well, broadly speaking, is we don't really believe that we are accepted or even acceptable deep down. We don't believe that God will bless our efforts. There's faith in that. But the gospel just shrinks and we find ourselves clinging to other things for acceptance or maybe to feel superior to avoid being on the outside, to feel like i got to be put together, right? And when we get there, clinging to other things, we typically become unwelcoming in some form or fashion. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Where's our hope? Where's the transforming power? Where do we find that in the passage? So that's our third point, the power to welcome one another. Where's our hope? Where's the power in light of this struggle? First thing again, I'd say, and, and this is a little redundant, but even verse 13, if you slip down there, we didn't read it, but Paul calls God a God of hope. And I just, it's on my heart to remind us of that, that he's a redeemer of all things. He is a God of hope. So wherever you are today, know that is the posture Of your heavenly Father's heart, that He is called a God of hope. So be renewed just with a vision of who God is there. But secondly, I think the power to welcome one another well, we see it in the phrase, the simple, simple phrase there, as Christ has welcomed you. So let me ask you, Oak Mountain, how has Christ welcomed and accepted you? How has he done that? And here we begin to just turn our minds and turn our hearts to Jesus. The answer, the transforming power to welcome well wherever we are, is the gospel. It is again and again and again turning and returning to the good news of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. The gospel tells us that he, Jesus, who is superior who is our very creator. If you look at verses 8 through 13 in the passage, Jesus became a servant to Israel. And he came to the foreigners, the Gentiles, that's us, the outsiders, he came to get us. He who was forever from all eternity on the inside with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he took on flesh. He came to earth, and he was cast outside the gates, Hebrews says, outside on the cross, so that we might be brought forever on the inside, unchangeably accepted inside the very family of God. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus would become an outcast so that we could be embraced By his father. That's how he has welcomed us. And if we know that, right, if we know, we we connect in some ways on the fact that we were unacceptable, all of us, before a holy God, deserving his judgment and wrath. And he had every reason to turn his face away. But instead, he turned his, as we sang about it, he turned his face away from his own son so that to us, he might look us full in the face and say, you are mine. You are no longer on the outside. I'm not looking at your flaws. You are forever in. You have been brought in. We're not on the outside anymore, folks. If you're in Christ today and you've placed your trust in him and you know that you're a sinner deserving his judgment, you have been brought and welcomed on the inside To the very family of God. And when we sit with that, it begins to drive out the things that we typically cling to to want to feel superior. It begins to give us a little energy to think about welcoming others. It begins to secure us with the deep longing that Lewis talked about that we've been brought in on the inside. And if we know that kind of love, right, you can't love until you've been loved. And when you know that kind of love, it begins to have a transforming power that would open up doors for us to welcome others. That's the gospel. Several months ago, Bob did a sermon and he talked about the story of Les Mis, a familiar story. A famous scene in that story where um, Jean Valjean, he's a convicted prisoner. He's wandering the streets like a homeless man after he's been set free on parole, but nobody will give him a job. And he's like a homeless person, right? He hasn't eaten, he's starving, and a local priest in one of the towns brings him into his home, and he welcomes him in. It's a great story. You probably know, middle of the night, he wakes up, and he steals the silver that the priest owns, and he wanders out into the streets, a thief. But the next day, he's captured. He's captured by the police, and they bring him back to the priest, and they say, this man says that you gave him the silver, but we know that can't be true. And in that glorious moment, the priest looks at the police, looks at Jean Valjean. He said, oh, yes, I gave him that silver. In fact, my friend, you left without taking the candlesticks. And he goes and he grabs his prized possession candlesticks and he gives them to him. And he whispers in his ear, I have bought your soul for God. It's a great story of what it means to welcome in and to show an extravagant grace. But here's the thing, just a little spin on that, right? If you're like me, I typically come away from that story and I think, how could I be like that priest? I need to be like that priest. I need to be more welcoming. Would I do that? Would I be that kind of generous? But here's the point of the story. Here's where we really see the gospel come alive. I think the point of that story that Victor Hugo wrote is not to tell us we need to be like the priest so that could be true. It's not to tell us we're the priest. It's to tell us we're the prisoner. We've stolen. We've ripped off God's glory countless times, even before we got to the service today. And the gospel says... Through Christ, Jesus says, I will be, I will give, all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. First Corinthians 3. All that Jesus has, we have, we're united to him. And he says, I will be carried away in chains like a prisoner so that you can be brought in. That's the story of the gospel. That we're all prisoners, all of us. Not one of us has escaped that level. And in grace, through Christ, we have been brought in to the very family of God. So you can lay down whatever you might be clinging to today to feel superior to others. We can fight against preferences and disagreements and be a place of hospitality. We can have flaws and we can have failures. We can look past those and we can fight to be a place that welcomes one another well. There's transforming power in the gospel. So whether that's a hello across the pew this morning or some other morning, to be empowered in an ordinary way there, whether that's having someone into your home maybe this summer that's different or you haven't met yet, whether that's moving toward difficult relational tensions, there's power in the gospel and thinking about how we've been loved. So let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for these words I thank you that you have given us uh, the one another series to draw us into your truth, uh, to draw us into your beauty, to draw us into your goodness. And Lord, some of us here today need to be reminded of what it means to welcome well. And so I just pray, I pray that you will help us as a church, as a body, as life groups, as families, to think about welcoming one another well. Father, some of us today need to be led into uh, some places of repentance, uh, just being mindful. Maybe we're stuck in a critical spirit. Uh, maybe we're experiencing some thoughts of judgment toward others and need to be drawn into a sweet place of repentance and renewal there. And Father, other of us just need to be reminded, in fact, all of us, Lord, of the deep, deep love of Jesus that you have brought us in. We need to be secured yet again that we are not on the outside, that we've been brought in. Every fear can be laid at your feet. And so I do pray, I pray that we would welcome one another well, even in the context of tension. you teach us how to do that. We'd be great at that. And it would flow out of a deep awareness that you have brought us in, into your family, very family. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. All right, Uh, so we have a benediction at the end of every service, and uh, the benediction is God's good word. And I love it because God gets the first word, the call to worship, and he gets the last word. And the word of benediction is a good word. It's a word of blessing. So he wants you to leave out of those doors knowing that Jesus Christ took a curse so that you get a word of blessing. We get a word of blessing over us. So be encouraged by that. So for those of you in Christ who received this benediction, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May we go in peace and may we love well this week.